Hey everybody, this is Rita Springer. Welcome to the Rita Springer podcast. I'm so excited today because one of my favorite things to do is interview people who are really working locally as worship leaders, songwriters, and recording artists in the local church and committed to the local church. And I have been wanting to interview Andrew Holt for a while. We don't know each other very well, but um, we were in a kind of a I'm not going to call it a lame songwriting <laughs> one day, but it just was like a, this weird thing that we did. But um, I just have always admired his songs. Uh, I do go to The Belonging when I'm home. Yeah. Uh, and I just, there's just something about you, Andrew Holt, that I just am like, I don't know, this guy loves the Lord. And I want to find out his story. So we're going to listen to his story and just talk about the church, talk about the local body church and um, and everything. So welcome, Andrew Holt. Thank you for having me, Oh my Rita. gosh, yeah. I'm honored. Yeah, I'm, I'm so I'm honored. honored. <laughs> How old are you? I just turned 30. Okay, all right. February 10th. Three zero. big 3 oh. oh, I feel gosh. like a real adult now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're married. <laughs> yes. Tell us a little bit about you're married and you have two kids. kids. Two kids. Two little girls. My wife's name is Sarah. Um, we have two girls. Our oldest is Olive. She's four. And our youngest is Lennon and she's one. Oof. And um, so it's a party at my house right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, my wife and I have been together a while. We met in youth group um, as kids and then we started dating in college. And so um, she's, she goes way, way back with me. Is she a singer? <laughs> no. No. Is that I didn't hear great? my wife sing until we got married. Oh, wow. And then she started singing around the house and it was like, Where's this at? But she will not sing. In she front won't of do it. Doesn't no. have a desire to do it. But I kind of love it. Yeah, yeah, that's. Great. I love that that's she's great. not creative. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I want to know, like, take us back to the story. I know you've said a little bit about it, but yeah. I want you to like tell your story because I do think it's a little wild that you grew up in such a conservative, mm-hmm. religious kind of totally. structure. Yeah, I grew up in Nashville. Um, if you've ever been to Nashville, you realize that's pretty rare. There's not many of us from here. Yeah, yeah. Um, and grew up in the Baptist church. My dad is an amazing man of God, and he's a Baptist pastor. And so I grew up in church as a kid. Every every time the door opened, you know, mm. I was in church. Um, and my mom is an amazing woman of God, and she had an encounter with God um, when I was a little kid that really changed her and um, made her really hungry for more of God. And so... Like throughout my teenage, early teenage years, um, I remember her taking me to like conferences and things like Jesus Culture Conference or Bethel Conference, or um, there was this thing that happened in Nashville called The Call in 2000. And it was really these places where the power of the Spirit of God, the presence of God was there. And so I had like these little tastes of, like this is how I love to describe it, like little tastes of living water. Yeah. Um, and I knew that I, whatever that was, I wanted more of it. But I found myself in this context of a Baptist church yeah. in the South. And um, What happened to her? Like, what was her experience? Do you know that kind of, because that's pretty radical to go from your husband is a pastor in a Baptist church and you're yeah. taking your kid off to a Jesus culture conference. <laughs> totally. She, I mean, it's, it's probably her story to tell, but she was in Jamaica on a mission trip had this dream and this encounter with God that wow. really like wow. really shook her and shook her in what she believed and yeah. how she saw God. And I remember her always talking about that moment. And um, because of that, she was just hungry. She like was always had worship music blasting in the house. And like, she was the wild woman at church with her shoes off and lifting her hands in worship. And, wow. um, but at the same time was this amazing wife and um, amazing mom to my family and to my dad. 
always honored that. I watched her like, as she's walking through that, also honor my dad yeah. and love my dad. Wow. And also says a lot about my dad as well. Yeah. Because even though it, I know it made him uncomfortable at times, he still supported her in it. But yeah, that was kind of- Are you from a big family? Like, do you have siblings? Two, three boys, two brothers. Wow, um, so she had three boys to raise. Right in the middle. I was the middle. Were yeah. you the one that, were you the only one that went with her when she went out? Uh, no, we all would go. Well, you would all- Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not your dad, just the no, three. Just, yeah. That's hilarious. Um, yeah, and so like, I, I knew from a very young age that I was called to lead worship and be a part of ministry. I've always been just a church kid. Like, wow. Um, like from a very early age, would just always find myself at church, you know, helping out with whatever could be going on. I actually came on staff at the church I grew up at when I was 15. Wow. <laughs> which is crazy. Doing what? what like youth worship. And, you know, after school, I'd go straight to church and they were paying me like 200 bucks a month. And I would just, you know, build stage sets or like, um, help out with the youth and you pastor loved it. and loved it. Like have just, that's always been who I am. I remember in that season, like I would, I, because I was so hungry, we would do like these worship nights that I would put on and like invite all my friends to. And, and I just remember like being so hungry for it, but there was no one really to foster that in me as like an older, like worship yeah, leader yeah. had amazing mentors and amazing people, but it was all within that context. Right. Very long story short in 2014, Actually, in 2013, we had a couple friends who were going to this thing in someone's basement, and it was called The Belonging. And I, I remember like seeing them post about it. And you know when you have like Instagram friends when it's like, yeah, we kind of know each other, but we've not really hung out. Yeah, and, you know? yeah. And those were the, these kind of friends. And like me and Sarah, my wife, would see them post about it. And we were just dating at the time, and we were both so drawn to it. Like, what is this thing? Like, I and you're wanna, still in the Baptist church. I'm still on point. staff on this church I grew up oh in. My gosh. And we actually never went, but when it was in their basement because we were so like, I'm not showing up to someone's random basement. And yeah, yeah, yeah. That's risky. It was a little risky, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and it's so literally as soon as they left their basement and officially launched um, the church. Pastor Which was Henry, at Rockettown first when they rented the Rockettown building? No, that was later. That was like a couple years after Oh, really? That. Okay. In the beginning, it was like random venues or like it started in like a little coffee shop and then it was in a venue. Oh, I didn't like, know that. Like the first week they were in this little coffee shop and they like, blew it up and couldn't fit in there. The next week they went to this place called The Foundry. And so like, I think it was two or three weeks after the, the first night, Sarah and I showed up on a Tuesday night. Just and curiosity. Just curiosity of like, what is this thing? We're so drawn to it in a weird way. And we showed up and I'll never forget, like it was maybe 200 people in this little venue called The Foundry yeah. in yeah. South Nashville. We walk in and Pastor Henry was leading worship. And I think Mia, Mia Fields was leading yeah, worship. Yeah. And worship started and it's like those little tastes of living water that I'd had throughout my life. It was like someone took a bucket of it and just dumped it on me. And I was like, oh, this is what I've been longing for. Like, this is what I've been searching wow. for. And I remember just like crying my eyes out that night going like, this is what I want, God. This is what I want more of. Getting back in the car with Sarah. And I'm, I'll never forget looking at her and go, I would love to be, like, this would be the dream is to be a part of something like wow. this. Like where it feels like God's moving and you know, I could be a part of something like that. And so we just started coming every Tuesday night because it was the per it was Tuesday it was the perfect setup yeah, to yeah, be on yeah. staff at a church. And I started coming every Tuesday night and literally like God just began to really change me from the inside out. I think this happens to a lot of people. For me, it really had come to this point where, you know, I was a worship leader since I was a 13, 14 year old kid. My identity had really become so wrapped up in what I did for God rather than who I was in yeah. relationship with God. And 
you know, when you're leading worship every Sunday, every Wednesday, and you're part of the team and you're on staff and all of a sudden, like, you, you so begin to put your identity in, like, who you are as a worship leader. And that's really where I was. And all of a sudden, I found myself in this place on Tuesday nights where no one needed me on a platform. No one yeah, needed me to yeah. lead worship. No one needed me to do anything. And God really knew, I, I know he needed, he knew I needed that season to remember who I am as a son. And I know they weren't speaking about identity every week, but it felt like every single week I would get to the message and they would be talking about identity and God would just remind me again and again. And the season at the church I grew up in ended actually, um, which is a long story, but I really felt the Lord tell me as soon as that season ended that I was supposed to be at the belonging. And it didn't make any sense because my wife and I were about to get married. We had just gotten engaged. And, and you're on staff as the youth pastor of Youth that, worship so youth leader, worship, yeah. yeah. Like leading worship every Wednesday night for the youth group. And I was also leading a lot on Sundays as well. Yeah. And I really felt the Lord say you're supposed to be the belonging, but I hadn't served. I hadn't done anything. This was actually right after I got married. So we were in the season. My wife's a nurse. She was still in nursing school. We had no financial, right. we had no job, nothing. And God said, you're supposed to be there. So I was like, okay. I like what a plan. I got a 40 hour week job at a coffee shop. Wow. And I went to coffee with Henry, Pastor Henry, who's the lead pastor of the church. And Henry Seeley. Henry Seeley, yeah. yeah. And I was like, hey, bro, like I've been coming. We have met several times. And I was like, this is who I am. Like I'm a church kid. Like if I'm going to be planning a church, I know God's called me here. I want to get involved. Like let me clean the toilets. Let me like roll cables, yeah, put up chairs. Yeah. And I'll never forget Henry looking at me, which now knowing Henry the way I know him, this is very rare. This doesn't happen. He looked at me and he said, like, I've known since I met you that you were supposed to be a part of what God's doing here. Wow. Like, the Holy Spirit told me. And he's like, tonight, the night we had coffee, we're having like a worship team, Christmas party at my house, come hang, meet the team. And he's like, you're supposed to be a part of the worship team. And I started just like singing BGVs, playing acoustic and playing guitar every Tuesday night. How big was the worship team at that point? It was pretty maybe, small. Yeah, right? like maybe 30 or 40 people. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Maybe even less than that, probably 20 or 30 people. And the best way I know to describe that season is I'm, I'm working at a coffee shop 40 hours a week. I'm serving every Tuesday night. And it felt like I went back to youth group where it was like nothing else mattered except I just want to serve God. I want to lead my friends in worship. And I want to have encounters with him. And I, it was the season for me of like really stripping away everything and mm. like coming back to the basics of what church is. Like, long story short, I got really involved, started leading a church. Henry at the time was running the whole team and being the senior pastor. So he's like doing planning center. He's yeah. leading every week. Alex was preaching for the most part. He wasn't really preaching yet. And I just like realized pretty quickly, like this guy needs help. Like he's yeah, <laughs> he's under it. Yeah. And I was like, bro, I've literally been doing planning center since I was 14. Like, let me help you. So I just started going over to his house like doing planning center rosters for him, like helping him with whatever he needed. Right, just volunteer base. Volunteer, yeah. And then in 2016, I came on staff. Um, and when I came on staff, it was like me, Henry, Alex, and they had like an assistant who was helping with all the finances. That and was admin, it. And that was it. And my job title at the time was creative ministry assistant. But I, what I did was I just jumped in and started doing what I'm doing now, like loving the team, leading the team. Right. And, I was already leading worship in the church and I'll never forget, like they pulled me into like their living room, which was our office at the time because <laughs> we were working out of their house. Wow. And they said, you're doing what we thought you'd be doing in three or four years. Like you're the worship pastor. 
you're the, here's the team, like you lead it. And because Henry was kind of like the worship pastor at 100%, that point. Yeah. So did he transition out of that then when you took it over? Yeah. Wow. There was definitely like a season of a year or so where we really did everything together. I was running everything by yeah. him. But it was like really like a, I think for everyone, even on the team, like for me, it was wild because I was 22. Outside of maybe one or two people, I was the youngest person on the team. Was that a little intimidating? 100%. And like not trying to be overly humble, like by far one of the, le- the least qualified and le- least um, equipped in the natural yeah. um, for that position. But I remember God speaking to me really, really early on, like, because he made it so clear that he had opened the door to be there. I did yeah. nothing to do that. Yeah. I didn't like network my way into it or like, you know, meet the right people and bust, bust open the door. Like it was so obvious that God had opened that door and made a way. And I remember him saying to me, if I open the door for you to be here, I'm going to give you the anointing and the authority and every tool that you need to not just get by, but to actually yeah. kill it and do it really well. Wow. And um, so it was really a season for me of learning how to trust in that and walk open-handed and take big steps of faith that were scary. And I mean, still feel like I'm doing that today in a lot of ways, yeah. but God just kept showing up and kept um, proving that word that he gave me true that he would give me the authority and the anointing and yeah so that was gosh that was 2016 so now we're in 2023 and still going it's been just the best journey of learning who I am with God but also likes like growing in everything that he's called me to as well and it's pretty cool to see like the dream of that 15 16 year old kid now like literally being able to be a part of what I always do your part parents of, so. come and watch you lead worship? Yeah, time? all they the do. time, yeah. And they don't go there, though. No, 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 no. no. Well, with my dad's job, like, he's... Yeah, re- he's still... Yeah. He still works for the Baptist Church, so he's... But they think, that, they think it's great. Oh, yeah. And I, th- I mean, I've had so many conversations with my dad. Like, I think what's amazing about him is that he sees the fruit in my life, and he sees the fruit of our church, and he knows, like, no one can deny that, what God's yeah. doing in you. He's so proud of that. And, That's so amazing. Um, Yeah, I'm really grateful. You know, the thing that strikes me that, you know, in in so many conversations with young worship leaders, and you kind of tapped in on it just a little bit when you came into the Baptist church as the youth worship leader, you came in from this experience of getting, finding these watering holes that weren't really provided for you in that environment, but your mom took you around, you found these these different experiences that made you hungry, Mm -hmm. and then you get in this role and you almost lose your identity in that role. Right. And then you realize, I'm hungry for something. You, you get to the belonging. And now we're all these years later. How did you change? Because I see this in, in young worship leaders all the time where they have this passion for what they do. They're, they're, they're stirred by the creative expression that God gives them. They come in, but then somehow it's almost like, I don't want to call it a church manuscript, but it's like someone writes this invisible manuscript that you turn into this. It's all about works. It's all about this. It's all about the program. It's all about getting this up and getting that up. And then you kind of, I mean, I'm talking to these worship leaders that have lost their identity sometimes daily. And they lose first love. It almost seems like first love is the easiest thing to be lost when the only reason you came into first love is because you were so freaking hungry in the first place to find the watering hole but then you get the water and it's almost like you lose sight of what the water tastes like. Now, all these years later, how did you 
stay hungry for it because you, that's the one thing about you. I'm like, you could easily at this point become an artist, be a big songwriter, do the touring thing, blah, blah, blah. And you do some of that with the belonging, but I mean, on your own, like you could pull off the Cody Carnes thing or, or, you know, (laughs) half a million. And you really don't, you seem to stay committed on Sunday mornings to that house And every time I'm there, and you're usually you're the one that's leading, well, you co-lead, but yeah. you're the one that's usually there. I'm always blessed by the consistency because I have such a heart for the local church and for worship leaders to, to just really soak in the local church. How did that change for you? Was it just maturity or did you find the balance somehow in this is what I want, this is where I'll stay without being mesmerized yeah. and romanced into this kind of, you know, you know that world. Hundred percent romantic I think Christian easy for world. For sure. And there's not <laughs> I'm not gonna sit here and lie and say that there's days where it's like that seems way easier or that yeah. seems way more fun. Because anyone who's listening to this and works at a church or has worked at a church, you know there's days where it's hard and yeah. you're dealing with people and you know, yeah. like sometimes I'm just like, it would maybe easier just to write songs and travel and lead worship. But God always reminds me that's not what he's called me to. And I think for me, like, I love what you're saying about first love, because that for me is the key. Um, That season, like I talked about where it was like, everything kind of got stripped away and I was working at this coffee shop. I remember waking up at 5am, driving into this coffee shop and it wasn't like a cool coffee shop. It was like, it's called the Perch here in Nashville. So it's like a, it's like a (laughs) crepe, it's a crepe place. And when you work at a place like that, you're not only the barista, you're also the cast register, you're the dishwasher, you're you're the food runner, you're doing it all. Are you talking about the one in Brentwood? I worked at that some, but there was also one downtown, downtown for a while that I used to work at. It doesn't, it's not open anymore. But I remember like hating that job, like absolutely hating it. Yeah. Waking up every morning going, God, like I know that you've called me to more than this, but this is where I find myself. And I remember him speaking to me and saying, if you can steward this coffee shop, I can trust you to steward more. And so I would literally like, push through the hatred of that job and actually like, okay, God, how do I steward that? Does it, for sometimes it was like, I'm just loving the person at the cash register who's there that day or no one makes latte art at the perch and I learned how to make latte art and I would like, you know, put the latte art out and like, this is, I'm doing my best. And even if it was a Brentwood mom who was like, it doesn't care, I'm just going to put this (laughs) lid on on it, it. it doesn't care. Um, But I think God, I know God was really teaching me in that season. Like, how do I, how do you steward the things that aren't always the easy thing, but it's the thing that I've, put in front of you and called you to. And it was really like in that season, in some ways it was easy to stay with that first love because it was just me and him. Yeah. You know, there was nothing else. And now like after all those years and all that God's done and all that I've been able to be a part of, it's a daily thing of waking up and saying, God, like it's still just you. It's still just what you called me to. And I love one of my favorite passages of scripture is Matthew 14. Um, because I think it's like this it's a, Jesus gives us this picture as ministers, especially mm-hmm. of how to operate. Because if you read the whole chapter, it's a wild progression. The very beginning is when John the Baptist gets beheaded. Yeah. And Jesus finds out, they come and tell Jesus he's been beheaded. And of course, like it's John the Baptist. He's devastated. And the first thing, is, it doesn't say Jesus said anything. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say, he, all it says is he went away with God. Yeah. And then after being away with God, he comes out of that place. He heals multitudes he feeds the 5000 yeah. this amazing miracle that crazy yeah crazy i and just did a blog on that really yeah and on, then he on the his in his grief yes he still understood how to 
Yes. To give. So it's like this picture yeah. of like, how do you respond to grief? But also like how God pours out after. After it. And then it's pretty crazy. He feeds the 5,000. The first thing he does is he goes away again. He goes up in the mountain and the disciples go out in the boat. Yeah. And then I think I, I remember reading that for like one time and God just telling me how many, how often do we, you know, lead worship for this amazing event and God does this amazing thing. And the first thing we do is come off and look at Instagram who tagged me in a post or yeah, oh, let's find a photo yeah. of myself that I can post about what God did tonight. But Jesus, he just went away with God yeah. and thanked him for what he'd done yeah. and got back to that first love. And then he goes and walks on water, which is like another amazing miracle right after that. And God just I really began to speak to me as I was reading that one day of like, this is how you remain. Yeah. This is how you keep walking the yeah. power of God. It's not anything other than just returning to the first love or returning to that secret place with yeah. me and that being the, the, like the source that being where everything flows from. Yeah. And I think for me, like in this season and all like the past season of being a part of what God's doing at the belonging, it's been multiple times of just going away with God and remembering who I am in him. And if everything got stripped away tomorrow or today, I'm still a son. And that's all that really matters. Everything flows from that. And the call that he's put in my heart is all that matters. And um, I know that he's called me to the local church. And I know that he's called me to be a pastor and a shepherd in that setting. And that place with him is where that gets fueled, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, It really is interesting how, for me, I have this memory of the way that it felt. You know, sometimes a bus in in high school would drop me off at my— because I was in a Baptist church pretty much growing up too. My mother was a church secretary. That's amazing. And so she was the church secretary there for a while. So we, we obviously went there until I was in my late teens. And then I ended up at a vineyard because I was, wow. it was the worship that made me so hungry. Yeah. But I would get dropped off and I'd have to wait a couple hours till she got home. She got off and then we'd drive home together. And the sanctuary was always just, nobody mm. was in there. And, you know, there was an organ on one side and a grand piano on the yep. other. And the, it was only lit with the windows, all those like, really beautiful windows on the side. And so I I would just walk in there. And there's something about um, an empty room mm-hmm. when nobody's around. And there's just this feeling that's just, I don't know, it was holy to me. Yeah. you know. And I would just go in there and I just write letters to God on the piano constantly. Amazing. And that was really when I started leading worship but had no idea it was leading worship and yeah. being with the Lord. And it's that literal physical feeling that I chased my whole life. It's like nothing felt like it felt like in that room. And so I was always trying to find something to compare the feeling of that room when nobody was in there except for the presence of the Lord. And there's no comparison. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about going back to first love, it's like you can busy yourself with all this stuff. But for me, even at almost 55 now, it's like I, I still am trying to chase that feeling of just walking into an empty, you know, um, sanctuary, yeah. knowing that the only person that was left in the building was the presence of the Lord. You know awesome. what I'm saying? Totally. So, so I, because I talked to so many young worship leaders like yourself, and I don't know that many of them have had the first love experience. Mm-hmm. They've come into it from the the doorway of gifting or the exactly. doorway of somebody prophesied this over me. In fact, I've 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 gone very public to say that when I adopted Justice as a newborn, 
I, I felt really strongly the Lord said, don't ever ask me what he will become because mm. you'll ruin it. Mm. <laughs> so, so I stayed away from what is he going to become so that I wouldn't be like, the Lord told me you're going to exactly. do this. But that he said, ask me what kind of man he will be. Awesome. And, and so, you know, having him flourish in his own thing without me tagging it. Yeah. And I see a lot of, you know, just a lot of creatives that, Come into the 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 role their roles in the church. They have no patience. They have no timing. They get easily frustrated. They're trying to climb the ladder all the time because they don't have the first love experience. Yeah, and they felt feel the presence of the Lord, but they don't even know how to chase the presence of the Lord because it's all a mechanical, almost like a robotic thing for them. And it it's it's a collapsing. Yeah kind of a collapsing theology for them in a sense, because they're chasing how to build a church without how to become the church. Right. You know? Come on. So I think that's why I I felt it on you. Like I could mm. see it in the spirit on you, that you you were different. And I do think that when we talk in scripture about, you know, um, many are called, but few are chosen. Mm-hmm. Like for you to have that experience at such a young age, to me, that's like the kid was chosen. Like mm-hmm. the kid was handpicked. Because um, what do your brothers do? My younger brother's a farmer. Yeah. And my older brother is like in production space, like technical stuff. Yeah. So it's just fun. I mean, it's like how the Lord, the Lord will gift us in all the things yeah. we're supposed to be doing. But the ones that have, I mean, that's it's a hard track to be in the church. Yeah. It's a hard track to be in leadership because it is full of people, full of imperfect people. Yeah. I think it's even like what you're saying is, Either they've never had the first love experience or they did yeah. at a very early age where they felt the call of God or someone gave them that prophetic word. And it started from that place. But then all of a sudden, everyone starts to celebrate you for your gift. Yeah, Everyone starts yeah. to say, what an amazing thing that you're doing. And, you know, it's like, I remember having that feeling of like, why is it, this is a good thing. I'm called to be in ministry. I'm called to be a worship leader. Like, of course, it's amazing that I would identify as that. And like, you're celebrated for that, yeah. especially as a teenager where it's like everyone around you is getting into whatever and you're the one at the church and you're the one pouring out and you're the one serving the house. And those are all good things. But if it, if you get, begin to get celebrated for that, you start to re- like realize or think like, this is what makes me awesome. You know? yeah, <laughs> like yeah. this is what makes me good yeah. is that I love serving God. But in reality, like what makes me who I am is that connection with him and being a son. And... No one celebrates that Mm-mm. in the church, no. unfortunately. You know, so. no one's celebrating yeah. like, man, you're close to God and that's beautiful. And like, they're actually, like, I remember like so many people going like, Andrew, when are you, like even as a teenager, especially growing up in Nashville, it's like, yeah, yeah. when are you going to make a record? And when are you going to, you know, start writing? And when are you going to do ABC? We should like start developing you. We need to develop him. Like I remember t- people telling me, my mom that like, we need to develop him to be the ABCD. And what I'm so thankful for my mom is that she protected me, kind of what you're saying with your son, where it's like, I'm going to support Andrew, but I'm also going to like allow God to do whatever he needs to do and open the doors. I'm not going to force it. Yeah. I think a lot of, in a lot of ways I was protected from that stuff because of that. Um, But it still didn't, it still found me. Like it's, I still found myself in like 20 year old in college, 21 year old and so wrapped up my identity and everything except the wrong thing, except the right thing. Right. But God was kind to strip it all yeah, away. Yeah, it is really interesting having an 18-year-old. And, you know, we were in a conversation last night, and I sometimes I just cock my head to the side and I'm like, I, I don't know if circumstances matured me in a younger, mm. you know, when I was younger, that 
I was, you know, I mean, my father was was gone by the time I was nine and mm. my mother by the time I was 21. So I had to like grow up kind of fast yeah. because I look at Joseph sometimes and I'm like, man, he's he has the freedom to just be kind of a, a dingle. <laughs> you know what I'm he just, he doesn't have to like grow up fast or do yeah. anything. And so he has all this time in the world to like, you know, not just learn his craft because he's a little musician, but just kind of like a, a weirdo and just, yeah. you know, and I'm like, man, if, if God ever like messed with him, you know, like in the middle of the night, it was like, you're called to this. I wonder how mature he would be because you were called so, totally. so young. I mean, he, we had, I had a, somebody here last week and he, he has no idea sometimes whoever comes in the house. And so I was like, you, you gotta look that guy up. He's a great writer. He's a, he's a sync writer. And so he looked him up and he's like, dang, why don't I know that you have these kind of people in the house? <laughs> I'm like, because it doesn't matter. Right. And he's like, you're right. It doesn't really matter. He's like, but that one, I would have, <laughs> you know, and just in his immaturity, I was like, man, it is really beautiful when God calls people into, into almost like you're going to be doing this so young. Yeah. And, but you had that call of God on your life for that. Yeah. Now, did you feel like it was in writing music too? Or at that point when you started, were you like, I love what I'm hearing. Maybe one day I would love to do that. But how did you come into like the love of songwriting? Yeah, I, I, that was definitely a slower journey than the worship yeah. leading side. Like I, I remember like trying to write songs in like as a teenager, but it never really like hit. And I don't know, I, I don't know why I didn't really like go for it. But then when I really started writing, well, I wrote, I like released this little EP in 2015, yeah, which was that season of the coffee shop. Um, but that was more of me just like trying to figure out what God was doing in my life yeah. of like, let's just get together with my friends. We wrote some songs and my friend, you, I think you probably know him, David Ramirez uh-huh. produced it. That was the th- first thing he'd ever produced. It was like right when they opened their studio, Gnome Studios. So it was just like all of us, like, you know, we're in our early 20s and we're just trying to figure it out. But for me personally, like, I'm going to this church. I know I'm called to be a part of ministry, but I don't have a job there. And I'm working at a coffee shop. So maybe I should try to make a record and maybe I should try to travel. And it was good and it was sweet season, but I, I like quickly realized this is not what God wants me to do. And so that was like really when I first started writing Then I came on staff at Belonging. And one of the first things that was my, my job was organizing our like first songwriting retreat. So this was like two years into being a church. Yeah. I think Pastor Henry was like a little bit like hesitant to do it from the start of like, we don't want to do this just because this is what we do. Yeah. You know, like immediately, as soon as the church started with the um, like people that were coming a part of it, everyone's like, when are you going to make a record? When are you going to? And we, for a long time, pushed against that of like, we're not going to do that just because it's the the right thing to do. Um, but I remember like right when I came on staff, we would be like picking songs for church and, you know, we're just leading any song and having a hard time, like finding songs that were giving voice to what God was doing in our house yeah. because God was doing a unique thing. And, and I remember Henry saying to me, like, I think it's time that we start writing. And so I organized this retreat and I remember like 15 of us sitting in a room before the retreat started. And I remember looking around, like, I'm literally sitting in a room with people that wrote songs I grew up singing. You know, like, <laughs> I know that's the thing I was like, yeah, and I've your written songwriting like, camp yeah. <laughs> is a little different than other people's songwriting camp. And I've camp. written songs, I've written maybe 10 songs in my life, yeah. 15, you know? And 
Because you're sitting there with like Mia and oh, yeah. Natalie. Yes, and Carrie, Carrie and Cody, <laughs> Cody and like, yeah. you know, and some amazing producers Tough and writers. Job. Yeah. And I remember Henry sat at the piano and we were like just worshiping before we started. And he kind of like settled the room for a second and he just looked at all of us. And he's like, some of you have written barely anything, which was me. I, I raised my hand, you know. And he's like, some of you have written songs for every movement and every artist. Mm -hmm. And you've been in hundreds of rooms just like this one. But he said, I want all of you to just throw all that out the door for a second. This is not... We're not writing for a record. We're not here with a theme. We're not here with, we need this many fast songs. We need this many slow songs. And we need this many songs about the Holy Spirit. We need this many songs that are anthemic Jesus songs. And yeah. he said, we're here to write for our house mm -hmm. and to put voice to what God's doing in our church. And he's like, this may never turn into a record and that's okay. Like, I just want to take the pressure off of that for a second. And um, I remember like, similar to what I said earlier about God speaking to me, that he would give me the anointing and authority. It was a similar thing that God told me. It was like, I placed you here, so just trust me. And my first write of the week was with Mia and Josh Silverberg. You know, like, I'm like, okay, here we go. And Mia, like, had been singing this bridge and or this tag in church for a while. And she was like, I want to write something around this. I was like, oh, thank, thank the Lord. Like, I love that tag. Yeah, like, yeah, I, can, yeah. I can do it, you know. And we wrote this amazing song called Fall that's on our like, yeah. was on our first yeah. record. And um, it was something that I got to carry. But the song, the lyrics of that song is something's changing in the spirit. Something's breaking. I can it's feel it. Heaven yeah. come down. And it was really for me, like, this is a prophetic declaration over me. Like, this is a new season. And I remember, like, being so thankful. And it was really just a lot. As a songwriter in that season, it was sitting in rooms with people like Mia. Like, she was, yeah, for me, like, one of, like, my mentors as a songwriter and she would just bring me into rooms that I did not belong in that I shouldn't have been in in the natural like sense um, but she just believed in me and kept yeah she's a great reader of people. yeah for sure and so I owe so much to her and it was just a lot of that but it was always staying rooted in that I'm just writing for my church mm -hmm. and we started doing those songs in church in that season and then we have live stream. And so like people from all over are watching the live stream. Like, what are these songs? How do we get them? People in our church are like, how do we get them? And so really making that first album was really from that place of yeah. like, we're actually not stewarding these songs well if we don't record them and put them out. Mm -hmm. And all of it was just recorded from services from church. And that first record was. Yeah. Wow. Um, we actually never did like an album recording night until this year. We did one wow. in January. Um, it's all just been every service is multi-tracked and everything's recorded. And yeah. and I think for us, it's always been that place of like, God, we don't want to take a step without you telling us to do it. We don't want to make a record just because it's the right thing to do in the world's eyes. Um, but we want to do it when you tell us to. And every time we sit down to write still today, you know, I'm one of the main catalysts to write for our church because I'm on staff and that's yeah. what, you know it's still that same heart of like, we just want to write songs with what God's doing right now in our church, not when the, from the perspective of like, we need to make another record, you know? And so like that's, and it, honestly, it gets harder. The more you get into it for me as a writer, like yeah. songs that I've been a part of, have had like some success and it gets harder as you go to stay rooted in that of like, yeah. why, we were talking about that before we started recording of like, why do we write songs? Like it should never be, for any other reason, especially in a worship church context, yeah. then first of all, like giving glory to God and like praising him and worshiping him, but also to give our local churches yeah. songs to sing yeah. with what he's doing in our house. 
And so I think it's a constant thing for me personally of like staying rooted in that, just like it's staying rooted to that first love of like, this is why I want to write songs, God. And if you want to use them outside of that, let that be the overflow. Let that be the thing that happens on the back end of it, but never the main priority and the mission of writing. Yeah, it is kind of weird how in, in the church setting, you know, we were we were saying before I press record on this is, you know, if if you just take up painting, mm-hmm. most painters don't take up painting and think I'm going to hang in galleries one day. Right. Thousands of people are going to stand in front of yeah. my paintings. You just don't. But for some reason, with music, you know, and and in the church, if if a worship leader starts writing and then they record a record, it's. It's always about who's going to hear this. Mm-hmm. How, how do we get it out? You know, should it be on the radio? Type? It's like what? Like mm-hmm. wh- where did that? I don't know. I don't know. Again, it's like this invisible manuscript that somebody's oh, writing yeah. that we're all just like reading. You know, at <laughs> night with night lights to try to figure out how to do this. And it it is almost like this algorithm, this yeah. thing that we follow that is so opposite of how the Lord moves and how He works and. I just I wish that we would come out from from that as worship leaders come out from underneath. If if you're recording something for your church because your people need it, you know yeah. I did respect Gateway for that. You know when I was totally. on staff at Gateway, you know they they actually had lots of of money. They stewarded the money really well, but they had lots of money to do like an amazing recording. But they would never get a payback for what they spent mm. doing the recording. But their their main thing was well the people want to hear it. Our people want to hear it. Yeah. And so they just gave it to the people, which became the resource for the church. I remember John Wimber of the Vineyard, you know, when I was part of the Vineyard movement way back in the day, would tell us leaders when we did these songwriting camps as, as Vineyard worship leaders, he's like, God, God gives us the music. Like God's giving the Vineyard music these songs. We're giving these songs to the people. And these people are then giving these songs back to the Lord. Awesome. And so it's this like cycle. this cycle that yeah. happens that if, and he's like, if, if there's something in that cycle that actually loses its grid and starts veering off to a different direction, we've lost the whole you know, flow of it. And that always stuck with me. It's like, he gives me the songs. I give the songs to the people. The people give them back to the Lord. He gives me the songs. I, you know, yeah. And so you keep that going. And I, I do think it's grounding. Although I do, I do feel like it's important because, and you could probably speak into this if, if you want to hear, but as artists, mm. when we become writers and then there's a recording out and then people are listening to it and it's not just a hundred people, but it's like thousands of people and you're getting downloads and all of a sudden you're actually seeing royalty checks from mm-hmm. what you're doing. None of that is wrong. It's fine. It's all a part of, you know, just how God will bless us or whatever. I think that's that's actually amazing. But there is this thing that happens, even, you know, I, I'll admit it myself, if if I'm doing another project, there's a, there's almost like this strain yeah. in the midst of it being like, who's going to listen to it? How's it going to get? What, what's you know? Is it going to be successful? Is it going to be? And mainly, I think for me because that's the role that I've been in for so long. Totally. But it it's inevitable that every project you do doesn't matter if it's the belonging, doesn't matter if it's elevation, doesn't matter if it's the little church on the corner that's doing a, yeah. you know, that ego you know, attitude, all that stuff gets involved. Am I going to be seen? Are my songs going to be on there? All that stuff is there because our humanity doesn't lose itself, unfortunately, in the midst of all that stuff. The mercy, I think sometimes, God, the mercy that God has on us. (laughs) 
that he lets us call it worship when maybe 50 to 60% of it was, I, my song better be on there. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? How do you guys at, at The Belonging kind of function with that? Are you having open conversations? I mean, you're dealing with like, you're not dealing with unknowns all the time. I mean, you have, you've got a pretty- 100%. Deep <laughs> roster of, of people that like are very well known, yeah. you know, on there. But how do you kind of like, because that's in all of us. Yeah. I think, uh, first of all, so much of it has to do with those individual people. Mm-hmm. And we have such a culture at our church of no matter who you are in the ministry that you carry outside of this space, when you get here to serve the house of God, you lay all that down and you walk in and say, I'm just serving the house of God today. You know, like the people on our team, none of them outside of like a couple of us who are on staff are getting paid to lead worship on a weekly basis. They're all volunteering. Mm-hmm. They're showing up. They're putting their block out dates and planning center. If they're not, I'm texting them, you know, yeah. and I'm rostering them and they're accepting or declining. And, you know, there's there's this culture of like, that's not the reason we're here. The reason we're here is because, first of all, God changed our lives, you know, in the beginning of coming or whenever they came on to the church, like God changed them and they found that watering hole that we talked yeah, about. Yeah. And so they now want to pour back into that because it's their house and that's their heart. So I think so much of it is them but it's also us as a leadership being very willing to have those hard conversations. You know, every time we sit down to write as a team, we have just like that first time, those conversations of like, let's remind ourselves why we're here and what we're doing this for. And even like on the back end of releasing, I love what you're talking about. Like you release songs and all of a sudden, for some reason, we want to view them through the world's eyes of what success is. Yeah. God's success is not the world's success. Yeah. You know, I think that's something I remind myself of all the time of like, just because a song didn't have a million streams doesn't mean that it wasn't successful in right. God's eyes. You know, I'm like fully convinced that we're going to get to heaven and we're going to be like, God, what was your favorite song? And he's like, it was, be- what a beautiful name, obscure. right? Yeah. It's going to be like <laughs> some song that like it. Jill in Colorado wrote right. and sang to oh, God yeah. in her bedroom. And he's like, I love that one because she meant it with all her heart. Yeah. And she wrote it from a place of worship to me and no one ever heard it. Yeah. And she may be saying it one time. You know? yeah. And and I think I always have to remind myself of that because I'm just like you. I'm more than willing to admit that there's days where I'm, I get caught up in it all. And I have to just like go, God, like, first of all, it's a mystery to me that you choose to use me. Yeah, It's a mystery to me that you would choose to use me, broken Andrew, to be a vessel for what you're doing in the earth. And so thank, thank you. Like, yeah. I'm always just saying, thank you, God, for using me, for choosing to partner with me. But also, like, never let me view what you've allowed me to partner with through the world's eyes. Like, give me eyes to see it the way you see it and um, be content with that. And I think it's easy to sit on a podcast and say that. Yeah. It's harder day to day to to live that. But it is there. And I think that's the most important thing is to to call it out and say, hey, look, this doesn't make us these people that are like, oh, you just give the glory to God totally. all the time. It's just it's so easy. <laughs> it really isn't easy because we're we're being shoved into the corner constantly with our worth yes. based on how many streams your song gets. Right. I mean, I, I have to admit that even last year, for me, I was like, I think I'm done. Like, I think I'm done with this. Not because it feels sometimes like a game, but because I just started to get heartsick as an older person mm because I wasn't finding a lot of people that were in it for the right reasons. And, and so when all of a sudden you are, this house is so familiar. And then all of a sudden you walk back in the house and you're like, 
somebody's changing all the furniture. Somebody's like painting all the walls. Like somebody's replastering this and that. It doesn't look like the same house. I don't think I want to be here anymore. Yeah. You know, and and it was kind of a shaking where the Lord was like, "Huh, interesting." So now you're going to run. You know, where it's like, I just don't know where I fit in in this place anymore. I don't. I don't yeah. have a place. I don't. You know what I'm saying? Totally. And I, and that's coming from 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 an older perspective of. When I went to church back in the day, we had potlucks. You know, you can't even do that nowadays because of everybody's allergies. You know what I'm saying? It's like, even being on Suffolk Gate, it was like, oh, that was just an insane idea to ever do. You know, and sometimes I'm like, sometimes I just want a jello salad. I just want a casserole. I just want a casserole, a potato chip casserole, you know, because there was just something of the simplicity about... About those days that made first love so much easier to return to. Yeah. And now it's like you turn around to walk to first love and you have to walk over all of these bodies mm. and over all of these issues and all of these things. And then you have to walk over Instagram and over social media and all this. And it's just like, oh, I just want, I just yeah. want it to be done. And, and yet the Lord's always like, you think I'm unaware that all of the clutter was ever going to be here and that you're making it harder for yourself because mm-hmm. you're seeing things that I'm not wanting you to see. Yeah. You know, just just get back to that first thing. And it just, again, it makes me, it makes me want to be back in the, in an empty church yeah. with just the piano. And, and it's like, I think it's all the more beautiful that in like now, in 2023, yeah. with every option we have, if we choose him, yeah. like more than ever in the history of mankind, is it harder to choose him? But yeah. when we do. Yeah. Like, how much does that have to please the heart of God? It's yeah. like, they chose me after, over all this. Over all that, yeah. Over my phone and over Instagram right. and over everything that's pulling from my attention, over streams and over whatever. Like, whatever the thing is that's getting in the way of, like, seeing God, that we get to, like, actually choose to see Him yeah. and pursue Him. Yeah, it is interesting to be raising, you know, you're raising, your kids are so young. Mm-hmm. And, you know, justice has been raised in this yeah. this dominant world of, of cell phones yeah. and and his lean into the Lord is different than because I didn't have any of that totally. stuff. So, but the same God is found in all of it, yeah. you know. So it's just it, it is very <laughs> very just being being aware that those things are there for us as much as as anybody else. Yeah. But that it does take a casting off. It does take a recognition. It does take a what is the what in the world is that like. Why am I getting caught up in this? Yeah. You know, I've thought that a, a few times and just like, wait a second, what am I doing getting caught up in this drama? Totally. Like this is drama and I'm not going to get <laughs> caught up in this drama. And, but, but it's always there. I remember talking to Amanda Cook when she released, I think it was her album under Falcon, like her first mm. album under a different name. And it was during COVID and, and, you know, the album was released and we had this long talk. And, you know, when you, when you know somebody Personally, but people know them from a different perspective. You know, with, with somebody like Amanda Cook, it's like she's flawless in what she does. But you don't think of some of these people like they get insecure. You know what I'm saying? And we had this really beautiful conversation one night where she was like, what if this just tanks and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, what? Like, you think that? And she's like, oh, my gosh, all the time. And I realized this is always going to be this is always right. going to be prevalent in any artist or any driven writer or yes. creative that we will fail at this or we may fail at this. And it really kind of brings that perspective back around. Of, Why are we doing this? Yeah. Who are we doing this for? You yeah. know, and I, I I can tell you that every, 
album that's been the flop for me, you know, because there's been a few. <laughs> um, you know, the Lord will always, the sweet Lord, he's always, he always comes back with like, well, you don't know how many people or blessed by it, exactly. I do. And it's like, yeah, but, you know, you just <laughs> want to be like, mm-hmm, yeah, I know you care about the one. But it really is when you partner with him and what he's yeah. what he's wanting those songs to be. I know that there's a song that I walked in, I don't know if it was a spontaneous song that you guys were doing once, and then it became an, a song on, on your latest record. But I remember thinking, if I never hear that song again, this moment, hearing that song was the best moment of my life. Wow. You know, just the way that you, I, I, it felt spontaneous when you first sang it. I can't even tell you what it was. because yeah. it's a, um, But I just was like, I don't know if this song is out there. And I caught myself, I was like, I'm not even going to look. Yeah. I'm not even going to look. Awesome. I'm not going to look on iTunes. I'm not going to type these lyrics in. I'm just going to sit here and let the song be what it is in the first moment of That's my awesome. life. And let it crash over me. Mm-hmm. And let it just kind of assault me with its truth and I'm not going to chase it beyond this moment. You know so what I'm saying? Beautiful. And it really was. It was like, it still makes me weepy thinking about it because mm. I was just like, I, this is what songs should be. And I remember that kind of in the vineyard when, you know, a new song would be, we didn't, back then it wasn't like seven new songs a year. We could only give seven new songs a year. Exactly. Too much for the people. I mean, we were doing new songs every freaking weekend, you know, yeah. then. But it was really the, these beautiful moments where, these spontaneous songs or these just songs that were written on Thursday and they did them on Sunday had such an impact in the, in the, because there wasn't an emphasis on the art of writing the song. There was an emphasis on Jesus is writing on this lyric. And when we sing it, he seems to walk into the room. You know what I'm saying? And we, I mean, that's so our heart. That's, that's so my heart is like all of my favorite songs were birthed in moments like that. Like, you know, like it was just a tag that I started singing spontaneously. Yeah. And it's easy, like there's this beginning of the year in January, we went away for a staff retreat and I sang out this like spontaneous thing at staff retreat one night. And it's just like, you know, like it's in my phone as a voice memo, so I don't forget it. And it's just kind of been there. And then all of a sudden, like I started going to it at church a few times and we were just out on this like run of worship nights as a team. We were in Tampa and we were leading and Hope was leading a song before I was supposed to lead. I just felt the Lord say, go into that tag, you know? And I was like, I don't know. Like, no one knows this tag. Like, the whole point of these nights is like, these people know the blind can worship and, you know, they want me to sing this song. But then God's like, no, go into that tag. And I started singing it and the lyric is just like, I won't hold back a single drop. This is all I've got. I'll pour it out on you. Yeah. And I started singing that and the whole room just like broke open and God just like began to move and I could, I felt it. Like I could hardly sing the words because I was crying. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, like, and of of course, like as soon as we finished the night, we're all like on the bus and like everyone's like, what is that thing that you keep singing? Like, it's so amazing. Like we need to just like make it a song or we need to, like we were just having that natural conversation that you have. And I just remember going like, I, I don't know. Like, let's just see. Let's let it be what it is. And yeah. allow, allow God to do what he needs to do with it. And I'm not going to rush it. And I think there's beauty in that of like yeah. letting songs be what they're meant for and not forcing them to be something. Yeah. Like maybe that's all it ever is. Like what if that tag never gets put out on a record or it never becomes a song? Yeah. And it's meant to just be just something that, be that. Yeah. what it is, you know? And I think there's so much beauty in taking the pressure off of things and saying, God, like I'll let you use this. And show me when it needs to be a song if it does, or yeah. tell me if it doesn't. And I think it's always just that posture that I want to live in. Mm-hmm. 
a posture of just like open-handed to God of mm-hmm. with everything that I'm able to be a part of. And um, he keeps on blessing that. So I'm going to keep on That's doing so it. Good. You know? Yeah, keeping that humble posture is yeah. so good. I just want to ask you this question just because there's been so much going on, but what do you feel like revival looks like? Mm. I think it's hunger. Mm. I think it's um, it's hunger for more than what we've seen. And like, we were just out on these nights and, you know, it's coming out of Asbury and everyone's talking about what God's doing in Kentucky. And and you could feel a difference. Mm-hmm. You know, every city we're in, like people are showing up so hungry yeah. to worship God and to be in his presence. And um, But we were talking about it a lot on, as we were out. Like, yeah. And I'm because you could feel it. Could you feel the ease in the atmosphere? Oh, there's just like, yeah. a, and I think that is what is breaking out revival everywhere right now. Is it's not you know a certain person singing or a certain person no. speaking. Mm-mm. It's actually just people are hungry. People are hungry, and they're not satisfied with what they've seen, yeah. and they're like willing to push past all that mm-hmm. to meet with God. And I also think like revival looks like repentance, and it looks mm-hmm. like reformation. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about it in the sense of our house and our church. And, you know, like we've almost, we're about to, next year will be 10 years as a church in Nashville. And we've seen that, like we've seen true repentance in people and true change in people. And we've also seen our city change a lot. I mean, you've been coming to Nashville yeah, for yeah, a yeah. long time. Yeah. And what Nashville is now compared to 10 years ago is a night and day. I grew up here. It's not the same. Mm. And I'm not sitting here saying that's because of the belonging, like yeah. in no way. But I think it's because God's been moving in a God's city. God's been moving, definitely. And, you know, a city changes when God moves. Mm. And I think that is now like what I'm like excited to see is God starting to move. I think cities are going to start to change and people are going to start to change. But they're also going to have, like it's, it looks like repentance, which isn't mm. an easy thing, but it's an yeah. important thing. And repenting to like to God for what we've made as church and mm-hmm. for what we've created some in some ways and saying, God, we're just coming back to you and yeah. that hunger for you. Um, so I, I'm excited about that. That's so good. What would be something that you would say to local worship leaders that are just tilling that soil every Sunday morning and like to encourage them? Yeah. And I think first of all, it's is thank you. Mm. Like, thank mm. you for choosing his house. Yeah. For choosing his bride. Wow. For serving his bride. Yeah. And not chasing everything else. And on the back end of that, thank you is just keep going. Don't mm. lose mm-hmm. sight of that. Like, what well, we've been talking about this whole podcast of that first love. But I think not getting distracted by the people around you or the, the people you follow on Instagram of, you know, I think it's easy to like look at someone else's call and be like, man, I would love to have that call yeah. of God. You know, like why did they get that call and I don't? And then how much does that have to break the heart of God? Is like, well, this is what I've given you. Yeah. Like, this is what I made you for. Yeah. And I think when we like fully surrender to what God's asked us to do, that's where you're going to have the most peace. You're going to have the most joy. You're going to have the biggest satisfaction is when you are fully walking in what God's placed mm-hmm. you in. And so don't get distracted by the things around you, but keep going after God and keep, yeah. don't get satisfied either in that, but also like be satisfied in him. Yeah. It's like this weird thing that I found in my own life of like, I'm not satisfied because I know that God has so much more in my life, yeah. but I'm satisfied with being with him. So yeah, keep going. That's awesome. Yeah. And then maybe one last question. 
what would you, what encouragement would you give to songwriters? Oh man, I think hold, hold your songs loosely. Mm. Um, as creatives, we're so, we hold everything so tight. Yeah. And earlier on, like as a writer, I was so like, man, I know this idea is good. And so I'm going to hold on tight to it. And I'm going to wait until I'm in the right room with the right people to write this one. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. think it's easy as a creative to be like that, especially with ideas in the beginning of like, God, I'm not going to, like, I don't want to do this with anyone except the right people. And which is such a weird thing to yeah. say, but it's yeah. how we act a lot. And, and I remember God saying to me in that season, like, if you would hold things loosely with open hands, like, and let me do what I want to do with them, then I can keep giving you stuff because your hands are open. But if you keep holding things tight, then I, you don't have open hands to receive. Yeah. I've realized that the more free I am with the ideas God gives me, the more he, he keeps pouring out new ones. And then on the back end of once a song's done, holding it loosely the same way, like not being scared of um, critique, not being scared of like having people speak into your songs and just allowing God to do what he wants to do with it once it's done, you know? Yeah. You know, when you're singing in church, like, don't be afraid if it flops the first time, you know, like, yeah. maybe you need to change it or tweak it, or maybe it just, people were learning it and don't let that like kill your confidence, but like hold everything loosely and keep going after it. Because um, as a writer, I've, I've figured out that like, the more you do it, the better you get and um, find those people around you who can speak into it and call you up and who are ahead of you. So, yeah. That's so great. <laughs> Thanks so much, man. Thank you. I love talking to you. Andrew Holt. Rita Springer. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> so great. Shout out to you and me media that makes this possible and gets this podcast in all of your listening devices. Remember uh, patreon.com if you want to follow anything else that I'm doing. You can go to patreon.com. But outside of that, have a blessed day, everybody.